0: when i originally laid out my preaching in proverbs what i had planned to preach on today was solomon's address in chapter 5 and half of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7 that he devotes his teaching to his son which is on sexual purity and immorality and i just felt like that would be an abrupt shift from what kirk preached on the last 2 weeks and Maybe you would say it's always an abrupt topic, but Lord willing, I hope to be able to get back to uh, sexual purity and immorality uh, and preach on those chapters in the future. But today, we'll consider what Solomon is teaching his son in the verses that Gary read for us from Proverbs chapter 6, specifically verses 12 to 19. As I've been going through Proverbs, I've shared with you every time that I've preached from it, my mental picture, and the text doesn't say this, but my mental picture is Solomon after dinner having his children gathered all around him and instructing them on wisdom, on how to live skillfully in the ways of God. And if you've spent time with a group of young children, you understand why Solomon wanted to teach his children how to eliminate strife. But I've come to realize that I don't even need to be around anyone for there to be strife within my heart towards others. You are my brothers and sisters. You who are in Christ are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this morning, let us hear God's word with humble hearts. Let us hear the word together because every one of us needs sanctification in this. We're walking together. We're walking together as followers of Jesus Christ and every one of us is needy for Jesus' mercy and for his grace and for his intercession for us, particularly in this area. This is the main point of Solomon's teaching to his son. Hate what God hates so you do not spread strife and suffer disaster. Hate what God hates, so you do not spread strife and suffer disaster. If we had a young boy who was sitting on our lap after he had just said to his sister, you are worthless. If we had this young boy on our lap, we might say something like this to him. You do not have the right to call anyone worthless Your sister was made in the image of God, and you don't have the right to say that to her. But God does have that right. And He does use that language in our text. He uses this strong language. How to eliminate strife? Do not be worthless and wicked. We see that in verses 12 through the beginning of verse 14. Now, when you hear the word worthless here, it is just as bad, just as low as you think. It means useless, good for nothing. And the word for worthless in the Hebrew... In verse 12, this word for worthless is Belial. It's used 27 times in the Old Testament. And one commentator says this, It describes a person who has become wicked and perverse and is a liability to the community. And eventually, Belial becomes a name for Satan himself. Worthless is worse than you think. Because the person is not just useless, they are wicked. In verse 12, how does God begin to describe the wicked person? They have a perverse mouth. What does perverse mean? Here's the dictionary definition. A willful desire to behave in a way other than the accepted standard often in spite of the consequences I think that's a good representation it really captures the essence it's the opposite of wisdom it's the opposite of living skillfully in the ways of God which is our accepted standard I think it would be profitable if you would turn with me to James chapter 3 verses 6 through 10. James chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. This is the very definition of a perverse mouth. In James, he writes these stinging words about a perverse mouth. Beginning in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one contain the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be this way. James says... The tongue can be set on fire by hell. The fiercest opposition to God comes from hell. The tongue is restless. Like a three-year-old that you tell to stay calm during the pastor's sermon. But James says the tongue is a restless evil then in verses 9 and 10, with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God from the same mouth. Both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And I fall on my face in repentance as I read these words because I have done this and because I at times still do this perverse mouth the psalmist says in Psalm 10 verse 3 for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire the wicked boasts of his heart's desire Paul says May I never boast except in what? The cross of Jesus Christ. Paul boasts in Christ. A perversion is boasting in your heart's desire. I find that in my own heart, in any given situation, I can too easily move from assessing and discerning to judgment, criticism, and harshness. And my tongue can be restless, and I end up speaking harshly, critically, as cursing men with a perverse mouth. Which is just a spilling out of what was in my heart. Solomon says, it is not only with a mouth that one can be wicked. It's the communication from body language. All of our nonverbal communication. Facial expressions. Posture. A stoic look. Rolling the eyes. All of these are means of nonverbal communication and more. I've been in business meetings before, thankfully not in elders meetings, but I've been in business meetings before where during a presentation, those who are hearing the presentation will kind of make eye contact with each other and point and maybe have a smirk. They're expressing their dissatisfaction with what the presenter is saying and they're doing it all nonverbally. It's not just with our words that we communicate. Solomon is teaching his children that a mouth that boasts in your own desires, a mouth that boasts in your own ideas, a mouth that boasts in your own perspective, and your body language that boasts in your own desires, and I would add, Social media that boasts and communicates your own desires, even if you attach a Bible verse to it, boasting in your own desires comes from the perversity of your heart. Boasting in your own desires comes from the perversity of your heart. That's what Solomon is saying at the beginning of verse 14. Our problem is our heart. We saw that in Proverbs 4.23. The heart is where our thoughts come from. The heart is where our actions come from. All of them. Remember that glass illustration. When it gets bumped, when when the glass is filled with water and it gets bumped, why did water spill out? Because water was in the glass. What is in your heart is what will spill out when you get bumped. When there is perversity in the heart, it will spill out. Solomon says, with this perversity, a man is continually devising evil. Verse 14, this has become a habitual pattern for this man, that he is devising evil, that he responds with harshness, with ill will, with a critical spirit, complaining. This is his habitual pattern. Notice in verse 14 the progression. The heart is wicked. From the wicked heart spring thoughts and plans, and these thoughts and plans result in actions. The heart to thoughts to action. This is the pattern of what you and I do. The heart to thoughts to action. And this is what Solomon is trying to teach his sons. To discern this. To see that this is what is going on with them. To be aware that their actions are a result of what they're thinking on. And what they're thinking on is a result of what's in their heart. So if they want to change their actions... They have to change their thinking. And to change their thinking, they have to change what's in their heart, what their heart is filled with. This is exactly why Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Let your heart be filled with the Spirit. To change action, you must change what you think on. To change what you think on, you must change what your heart is worshiping. How can you eliminate strife? Do not be worthless. Do not be wicked. In your communication, in your thoughts, and in your actions. Which means you must not be focused on self. You must not be focused on your own desires in your heart. Do not be worthless. Do not be wicked. Hate what God hates. Her second point in verses 16 to 19. Hate what God hates. These four verses in 16 to 19 are are an extension of the previous four in their description of the wicked man. So we have two couplets of four verses. Verse 16. There are six things... Which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. This is an example of a numerical proverb. And there's two things that I want to express to you in a numerical proverb. First, the list is not intended to be exhaustive. This is not an exhaustive list of all the things that are an abomination to the Lord. Second, the list builds to the final item. The list builds to the final item. So first, we know this is not an exhaustive list because we see in other places in Proverbs that there are other things that are an abomination to the Lord. I'll give you two examples. In uh, Proverbs 11, verse 1, a false balance, cheating someone. So they had scales that were supposed to be balanced. Cheating someone is an abomination to Yahweh. Second example, in Proverbs 17, 15, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to Yahweh. Our list of seven abominations is not exhaustive. Second, the list builds to the final item in the list. Proverbs 30 has several examples of this. I'm going to take just one in Proverbs 30, verse 29. Listen to the list. There are three things which are stately in their march, even four which are stately when they walk. The lion, the rooster, the goat, and a king when his army is with him. The first three, the lion, the rooster, and the goat, are merely building to the king. The list builds to the final item. And so it is in our text, the first, sixth, Abominations build to the seventh abomination. I'm not going to spend an extended time on each of them, but it would do us good to walk through Solomon's list, particularly in the light of COVID and masks, racism, Black Lives Matter. And all of the other daily challenges of our life. Knee surgery. All of the other daily challenges of life. Conflict. And it would be good for us to spend time walking through Solomon's list as we prepare our hearts for communion together. Haughty eyes or literally, high eyes, looking down on others. Christians who are writing on social media, who are speaking to each other, who are thinking in their mind in a proud, arrogant way, thinking sinfully about others who have a different perspective than they do. COVID. It's a conspiracy for government control. There is no risk beyond the flu. Or, I can't believe you're even considering gathering together. Masks. There's no way that I'll wear a mask and I won't come if I have to. Or, you are unloving and uncaring if you do not wear a mask. Black lives matter and racism. You have no proof of racism. It does not exist much today. And if you say Black Lives Matter, it means you support the organization Black Lives Matter. So I discount everything that you have to say. Or, if you are silent on racism, if you do not protest, if you do not agree that there is systemic racism and white privilege, you are not loving like Jesus loves, and you are not a true church. We do have to discern. We have to examine the Scriptures and make decisions in these areas. Solomon is teaching his sons to do this without looking down on others. Solomon is teaching his sons to not be arrogant in making these decisions as they look to others who have made different decisions. That's what Solomon is teaching his sons and that's what we need to learn as a church and as Christians in so many ways in Isaiah 10 the king of Assyria said by my wisdom I did this for I have understanding and God said I will punish the fruit of his arrogant heart the proud look in his eyes and so I confess I confess my pride when I look down on others who don't agree with me and my wisdom and where I landed on a decision in these in these minor areas compared to the gospel especially especially with my brothers and sisters in Christ a lying tongue what are the various ways we lie omission or partial information leaving out relevant particulars to shade it to the way that we want it to appear Distorting the context of a situation, again, to, to make it look the way that you want it to look. Minimizing, or the other extreme, exaggerating the facts. Of course, outright fabrication, a false story. I also categorize gossip as deception. Deception because it's done behind the back of the person that you're speaking ill about. A lying tongue is harmful. Proverbs 26:28. A lying tongue hates those it crushes. That is what you and I do when we lie and when we gossip we crush others with our hate. Hands that shed innocent blood. We are not a church in a community where we think a lot about the shedding of innocent blood. Chicago, maybe Milwaukee is in the headlines often for this. But across our country, it is legal for thousands upon thousands of children to be killed while yet in their mother's womb. Perhaps this was someone in your family. A friend. I think as our biblical counseling ministry continues growing, we are going to be ministering to more and more people whose hands have shed innocent blood. Perhaps you. And how do we minister? How do we minister to those who have shed innocent blood? With the sure hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who paid for all sin, including the shedding of innocent blood, through the shedding of His blood. This is what we believe. This is what we remember and celebrate at the Lord's table. The shedding of His blood to pay for all sin. Forgiveness for all who believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised Him from the dead so that you may be saved. Number four in Solomon's list to his son is a heart that devises wicked plans. Now perhaps when you hear this, you think of the evil masterminds from James Bond, or maybe the comic book movie villains. Or maybe you think of the Pharisees in the scriptures, and they're plotting against Jesus. And you think, we're not wicked planners like that. What about that haunting sin, bitterness? One indicator of bitterness is that you remember in detail how you were sinned against. And the reason that you can remember it so well is you're continually rehearsing it in your mind. How you've been wronged. Especially how you've been repeatedly wronged. Or an especially deep hurt. You keep track of it. You remember the detail of it. If bitterness, if bitterness does not immediately lead to thinking about wicked revenge, it certainly is a greenhouse for devising sinful responses. So that you'll be prepared when you are wronged by that person again. Or that, or so that nobody will ever hurt you in that way again. Bitterness prepares an enticing environment just for you to practice and justify sinful, self-satisfying responses in your mind. when I was in my late 20s, I was working for a big bank and the executives of that bank were increasingly making a series of decisions that a group of us did not agree with. We'd get out of a meeting and there were three of us and we'd be on the phone with each other complaining as we're driving back to our offices. We'd be complaining and and recounting the foolishness of what they said. The direction that the executives were taking us. And I started to think about leaving. The next year, I was passed over for promotion. And I said, that's it. I'm out of here. So here's the post-mortem. There was nothing wrong with me making plans to leave the bank and going to another bank. Nothing wrong with that. But there was something wrong. In my heart. I was bitter. And I continued to replay how I thought they made mistakes over that preceding year. And how they wronged me in bypassing me. And I began to craft it into a uh, Brian sees all the problems at Bank One story and I was really free to tell others about why I left when they asked me and I devised ways to bring it up even when I wasn't asked A heart devising wicked plans will run rapidly with those plans to evil A heart devising wicked plans will rapidly run those plans to evil. That's number five that Solomon is communicating to his sons. The heart is the inner man. The feet, his outward activities. The Lord hates the one. Who is bent toward and quick to pursue what is opposed to his ways. Who runs rapidly to evil in their thoughts, in their conversations, in their actions. Number six, a false witness who utters lies. False witness who utters lies. Here Solomon returns to the theme of deception but the focus is on perjury. It's like an old diesel truck. When you step on the accelerator, it pours out black smoke. Lies are the exhaust the false witness puts off. It just comes out of them naturally. Do not be worthless and wicked. Turn from what God hates or You will spread strife and suffer disaster. We see that at the end of verse 14 and verse 15 and at the end of verse 19. Solomon speaks of strife in both sets of our four verses. At the end of 14, at the end of 19, and he talks about disaster in verse 15. Strife means dissension contention and the seventh term the seventh item in verse 19 parallels the first section in verse 14b and it brings the list to a crescendo as one commentator said the seventh thing that yahweh hates one who spreads strife among brothers is the key to understanding the other six things that yahweh hates It is the key to understanding the other six. What he hates, what Yahweh hates about haughty eyes is that their arrogance sows discord among brothers. What Yahweh hates about a lying tongue is how its gossip and slander sows discord among brothers. That's what he hates. It spreads strife among the brothers. And what was true for Israel is true in the church. They create discord among brothers and sisters in Christ. Acts 20, verse 30. And from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Titus 1, verses 10 and 11. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families teaching things they shouldn't teach for the sake of their own sordid gain. One commentator wrote, even more deadly than attacks from outside the church are the defection of those within the church. False teachers twist God's word for their own evil ends. And this is why In the preceding verse, in Titus 1, verse 9, Paul records this. Where Paul's talking in Titus 1 about elder qualifications, Paul writes, Elders must hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that they will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict And this is why you need to be praying for and why I beg you to be praying for your elders. Because we are but men. We are but sheep. And yet God has burdened our hearts and called us to this weighty responsibility. And I confess there are times where I wish I could turn from it because the weight is heavy. And it's hard. And it would be easier to not have to make those decisions, to not have to call out people. But yet God has always built his church in this way for 2,000 years. And he will continue to sustain it. And we continue to trust in him to do that. But we do this through prayer and through being on our knees, all of us, The Lord hates the one who spreads strife. Note in verse 19, it is not the strife that is an abhorrence to God, but the one who creates strife and spreads it. That is the one that God hates. He doesn't hate the strife. He hates the one who spreads it. And this is a parallel from verse 14, which leads to, therefore, In verse 15 it may be that this person is not in Christ it may be and thus there is no eternal healing it may be that this person is in Christ and their heart is increasingly becoming hardened whichever it is that they may be in Christ or they may not be in Christ, this is clear in verse 15. It is a rebuke from God. A time of discipline will come for the man or woman who spread strife among the brethren. And it will come suddenly. As one commentator wrote, God is saying in verse 15, I will punish that behavior because my son died to bring you together in unity. God feels intensely about this. How to eliminate strife. The text just says strife. But what is implied and especially through our list, is sinful strife. Correction, rebuke, may not always be received. And there may be strife that ends up occurring through godly correction, through godly rebuke. There may be times where you have a different perspective from another brother or sister. And as you talk about that, there is some strife. That will happen. This isn't eliminating all strife. What is implied and what Solomon is speaking of is sinful strife. Sinful strife. Hate what God hates so you do not spread strife and suffer disaster. Now, in these eight verses, Solomon is making statements and... We see through the Proverbs, even in the next verse, 20, Proverbs 6, verse 20, that observing these commands is the intention. So in our text, he's making statements. We see in verse 20, the expectation is that you would obey these commands, that you would obey these statements. And we are unable to transform our heart on our own to even want to obey. It is God who is at work in you, Philippians 2, verse 13. It is God who must grant repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, 2 Timothy 2.25. So, as I'm sitting around the table, after dinner talking with my girls, as Solomon is doing with his son, this is what I'm saying. Cry out to God to transform your heart so that you hate what God hates, so that you do not spread strife and suffer disaster. What I'm telling my girls when we're sitting around the table, what I'm speaking to my own heart is that we would cry out to God to transform our heart so that we would hate what God hates, so we would not spread strife and suffer disaster. What's in our heart leads to our thoughts, leads to our actions. To change the action, we must change what we're thinking on. To change what we're thinking on, we must change what's in our heart. And heart work is God's work. We need the grace of Jesus Christ. We must cry out to you, Lord, to transform our hearts, to change our wants, who we worship. And as our hearts are increasingly transformed, we will hate what you hate, Lord, and love what you love. So instead of haughty eyes, we will love humility. Instead of lying, gossiping tongue, we will love truthful speech. Instead of hands that shed innocent blood, we love pers- pers- <laughs> preservation of life. Instead of a heart that devises wicked plans, we love pure thoughts. Instead of feet that run rapidly to evil, we are eager to do good. Instead of a false witness, we are an honest witness. Instead of spreading strife, we spread peaceful harmony, unity. And our unity is in Christ. Especially, especially, and this is, these are the reasons, this is a big reason that we celebrate the Lord's table together. To remember, to celebrate, to lift Him up as central. This is why we worship Him. Brothers and sisters, let us be people who spread unity. Let us be people who spread unity in Jesus Christ because we all stand beneath the cross together. Grow in unity with God Himself. Grow in unity with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Grow in unity with people who are different from us. Because Christ, grow in unity with every person that we meet as we proclaim Christ.